This morning we're going to look at John chapter 14 and verse verses 12 through to 14. And it's quite a long-winded um, title this, uh, but anyway, the title I've given it is Doing and Asking in Jesus' Name. Doing and Asking in Jesus' Name. John chapter 14 verses 12 through to 14. Let's just have a look at those verses again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In these verses that we're going to be considering this morning, we shall see Jesus giving two tremendous promises. The first promise is that he who believes on him shall do the great works that he does. And he shall do even greater works because Jesus is going to his Father. Then follows the second promise that all prayers in Jesus' name shall be answered. All prayers in Jesus' name shall be answered. First of all, let's look at that first promise in, in verse 12. Verse 12 again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus had already told his apostles that he would soon be departing from them and now we see him speaking to them with words of comfort and encouragement regarding their ministry uh, when he would depart from them or, or after his departure the words were concerning that time after Jesus had returned to heavenly glory. Jesus spoke of the works that they would do and which he was doing. He was now doing, and indeed he would continue to do, right up until his death on the cross. All Christians, and not just the apostles, are to be zealous for good works. However, the works the works spoken of by Jesus in verse 12 are not simply good works. They are works of a miraculous kind. That's clear when you look at the previous verse, verse 11. Let's just look back at verse 11, where Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Well, those very work's sakes were giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, healing lepers, and raising people from the grave. Physically dead people. Jesus did those things. Even before the departure of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had already given his apostles power to do various miraculous works, such as casting out unclean spirits and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Not the conventional way, not as a doctor might do, Miraculous healing. We see that to be the case in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. No need 
to turn to it now, but Jesus gave them power to do such things. However, once Jesus had departed and ascended to his Father, and he sent the Holy Spirit, the apostles and their associates were endued with power to continue to do miraculous works as they proclaimed the gospel to the Gentile nations and as they laid the foundations of the church. This is something we see as we read through the Acts of the Apostles. Miraculous works performed by the Apostles. Furthermore, in verse 12, Jesus promised that he who believes shall do greater works after his departure and because of it. Let's have a look at that again. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater works than the works that Jesus was already performing. What works could possibly be greater than raising dead people to life as Jesus did to Lazarus? And when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, as the Apostle Paul did, he raised a young man by the name of Eutychus who had dozed off and fallen from a third floor window when Paul was preaching. He fell out the window, he died, and Paul raised him up. In two words, what is, what is greater <clears throat> than all those miraculous works? Healing lepers, giving sight to the blind and so on. Well, in two words, the greater works is saving souls. That is, raising up people who were dead in trespasses and sins. They are the greater works. They are far greater than raising physical bodies. Physically dead bodies. All you who belong to Jesus, just consider not just the works, but the greater works that have been done in you. Each one of you who uh, belong to Jesus. For example, you who were once dead in your sins, God has raised up to everlasting spiritual life. You have been born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has made you a new creature, or a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God has brought you, who were once his enemy, to repentance, and God has filled your heart with faith in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith in his sacrificial death for your sin. God has made the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in your heart. God has brought you out of the devil's dark domain and he has transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has done all of those things and he has done much more besides. But in a very real sense, and you can think about yourself, apply this to you who 
you who are Christians in here, when you became a Christian, think about it. All of those greater works of God were executed through what? Through the agency of people. This is the greater works that Jesus was talking about that they should do after he had ascended to glory. Spiritual works. The works of salvation. Perhaps you were brought to repentance and saving faith in Jesus through godly parents who took the time to read and to explain the scriptures to you each day. Or maybe it was something your Sunday school teacher taught you from the Bible. Do you know, I didn't realise, well I knew that it's, it's wonderful that a small church like this has a Sunday school, but someone who... I know who goes to another church was amazed in a good way when that when she found out that our Sunday school still teaches from the Bible. She didn't realize that that kind of thing still goes on. Or maybe something that you heard in a single sermon or in many sermons over a period of time that brought you to repentance and to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or even a little leaflet, a Bible tract containing the word of God that a complete stranger gave you. Years ago I used to, when I was a brand new Christian, I used to stand on a soapbox in Covent Garden in London with the London InReach project, people would probably see them as rather odd, to say the least. I'm talk- People would see them as odd. I'm sad to say I'm talking about a lot of Christians would see them as odd. Standing on a soapbox and preaching the gospel. But anyway, one day, I don't think I was even there that day, so I take no credit for this at all. A tourist from Scotland took a tract from one of the preachers, one of the open-air preachers, uh, put it in his pocket, probably just took the leaflet out of politeness, whereas most people would just take it and then throw it on the ground. Anyway, on his journey back to Scotland, when he was on the on the train going back to Scotland, he had nothing else to do, and he got out his Bible tract. He remembered he had that tract in his pocket. He got it out, started to read it. One thing led to another, and then... Further on down the line, not the train line, but further on in time, the London InReach project received a a thank you letter from him. And that letter informed them of how he received the tract in the first place and how one thing had led to another and how he started to attend church in Scotland and how he had come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful that was. And that just started off with... Um, some rather odd Christians standing on a soapbox preaching the gospel in the heart of London and handing out Bible tracts. God uses people for those greater works. And I hope I was very careful to point out to you that God receives all the glory. God makes people new creatures in Christ. He brings people to repentance. He puts faith in their hearts. God does all of these things. But he does these things through the agency of people like you and like me. Not that he has to, but he chooses to. 
The greater works spoken of by Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 12 were performed by the apostles on the day of Pentecost about 10 days after Jesus had ascended to heavenly glory and he, and the, the Holy Spirit had descended upon the apostles on that day about 3,000 souls were saved by the grace of God, they having repented and believed on Jesus. And it happens, it happened when they were pricked in their hearts by the preaching of the apostle Peter. As you go through the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see the greater works continuing with various individuals and groups of Gentiles being wonderfully saved by the grace of God through hearing the preaching of the apostles and indeed their associates. In verse 12, we have considered miraculous works which were performed by Jesus and by his apostles. Also, we have considered greater works of bringing salvation to sinners that would be be performed by the apostles who were greatly used by God to raise people up to spiritual life and to convert them to faith in Jesus in those early days of the church. That was 2,000 years ago. What are we to make of all that today? Those greater works that were performed by the apostles. In answer to that, Jesus confirmed that he is the Christ, the Son of God, by miraculous works such as turning water into wine, casting out demons, restoring lepers, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and voice to the speechless, feeding vast multitudes with just a little bit of food that kept on multiplying, raising to life a man who had been dead for four days and whose corpse began to stink. Why did Jesus do all those things? To confirm to the people that he is the promised Christ, the one who was promised in the Old Testament scriptures. Likewise, the apostles performed various signs and wonders and miracles, but in those early days of the church, they only did those things in order to bear witness of the, to the gospel of Christ that they preached. And that is actually the explanation that is given to us by the Bible. The Bible tells us why the apostles did those um, miraculous things that they did. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse verses 3 and 4, I'll just read them to you. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, the apostles, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So those signs and wonders and miracles bear bear witness of the things that were said by Jesus and then by his apostles who laid the foundations of the church. One of the Bible commentators said, 
The signs, wonders and miracles supplemented the proclamation of God's word in the first few decades of the rise and the development of the Christian church. It was a supplement. 2,000 years on and the lesser works that were done by Jesus and his apostles, they are no longer required as some kind of supplementary device. Not now that we have completed Bibles. Therefore, Sunday school teachers, they don't need to perform miracles and raise spiritually dead, uh, sorry, physically dead people. Neither do mums and dads need to heal people with, that have leprosy. Preachers don't have to perform healing miracles in front of big audiences on television. It's just not necessary anymore. We don't need these things to confirm the gospel message 2,000 years on. It's been done. What remains are the greater works spoken of in verse 12. The greater works of being God's workmen and workwomen in the salvation of souls. Can you understand that this is a far greater work than raising up physically dead people? Most surely those works, the greater works, did not come to an end once the apostles had been promoted to heavenly glory. Look again at John chapter 14 and verse 12. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus is addressing he that believeth on me. If that is you, if you are someone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have those greater works to do. Greater works such as we've been considering today, proclaiming repentance and forgiveness for sins through faith in Jesus. You have the, the great privilege of doing those greater works uh, with your children and others, perhaps even handing out gospel leaflets. Let's move on now. Verses 13 and 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So it's about asking now, whatever you ask. Verse 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. There are more than a few professing Christians, in other words, there are a lot of professing Christians whose misunderstanding of these verses is such that they can um, ask for a new iPhone or even a new car in Jesus' name and they will receive it as long as they have sufficient faith. How about if I was to tell you that if you really are a Christian, there is nothing greater for you to receive than what you have already been given. You have already received Jesus. You have already received forgiveness for all of your sins. You now have peace with God, a peace that endures forevermore, a peace that passes all understanding. What more could you possibly want? What more could you possibly ask for in Jesus' name? 
By the way, whether you actually say those words in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer request or not isn't really important. But what is important is that you understand what those words mean. What it means in Jesus' name. They mean that what you are asking for ought to be in accordance with Jesus' will and for his glory. So don't imagine that saying in Jesus' name will somehow force Jesus to give whatever you are asking for, even if it doesn't glorify him. The Apostle Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be careful, be anxious for nothing. So, in a sense, when you look at what the Apostle Paul said there, if you want that iPhone, ask for it. If you're anxious about it, ask for that iPhone, ask for that new car, ask for anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I am not going to dictate to any of you what you ought to be asking for. It's not my job to do that. But let me ask you, do you pray in Jesus' name that God would open up to you doors of utterance that you might perform the greater works proclaiming the riches of God's saving grace to lost sinners? Do you actually ask God for that? The door of utterance that my old friend Albert at Covent Garden used to ask God for. Lord, open up to me a door of utterance. That's what Albert wanted to do. Speak to people about Jesus. That was his request to God. You might also like to consider the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And in Jesus' name, pray for your daily bread. Perhaps as you think about how Jesus graciously fed 5,000 plus people with just five loaves of bread and two small fishes and he satisfied their bellies with that. And you also ought to look to Jesus, the bread of life, in your prayers to feed and satisfy your soul. In Jesus' name, pray for victory over the besetting sin that so easily entangles you and pray that you would not be led into temptation but that you would be delivered from the evil. In Jesus' name, pray for more holiness, more godliness in your born-again life that you might bear fruit for the glory of the God of your salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen.